0: You're listening to The Author's Leverage, where it's all about your book and how to create a greater impact and a greater income with it. This podcast is for the author who knows there's more you can do with that book. Whether you're publishing your first one ever or you've written multiple bestsellers, the path to greatness begins by looking around and seeing that you are, at this moment, standing right in the middle of your own acre of diamonds. My friends, your book is a brand. I'm Parshall Tashi, creative entrepreneur and education design architect, and I'll be your guide diving into the minds of successful authors, renowned publishers, and industry experts to glean practical wisdom you can integrate into your book writing, launch, and marketing strategies today. You'll hear straight from the source how authors like you were able to publish their best work and build wildly profitable, successful businesses around it. Welcome aboard the Author's Leverage.
1: So we're so afraid of the judgment of other people, we go back and we keep reading more and more and more. But then now it becomes this big secret. And the secret is you know things, but nobody knows that you know anything because you haven't created anything. So I think part of the act of learning is the act of creating. Hey there, this is Parshel. Welcome
0: to another episode of The Author's Leverage. Today, I am thrilled, I'm honored, I'm over the moon that I was able to interview with uh, an amazing person, an amazing human, uh, who I get to call my mentor. Uh, Maybe you know him, maybe you don't. Let me introduce you to the amazing Chris Doe. He's an Emmy award-winning designer, director, CEO, and chief strategist of Blind and the founder of The Future, an online education platform with the mission of teaching 1 billion people how to make a living doing what they love. And Chris, I've known him for a little over a year now, and Ever since meeting him, I've just been so intrigued with his ability to teach. And that's really what we focus in on in the direction of this conversation. It just evolved that way where we're talking about his book called The Pocket Full of Dough. But really more so we dive deep into what it means to teach, what it means to be a good teacher. For those of us who are authors and wanting to communicate and articulate what we know best, there's an art behind it. And so you're going to hear from Christo, who's uh, one of the best teachers I've ever met and known, uh, what it is, what, what what's behind this art itself, and uh, and talk about the importance of it and how it can really create an amazing future, an amazing business that supports you in so many ways. So. I'm so, so blessed again for this episode. And as a quick note, <laughs> uh, this probably was the only recording where I did not have my actual microphone turned on. So you all get to take part in still an amazing conversation. Um, but nevertheless, I, I hope that you guys can forgive the, the audio mess ups here and still find the goal that was in this wonderful, wonderful conversation. Thanks for being here. Enjoy. Chris. Thank you so much for being with me today. It's an honor, privilege. Like I'm so blessed that you're here. So thank you, thank you, thank you.
1: It's my pleasure, Porsche.
0: Yeah, so I, I'd love for you to start off by just sharing something about yourself that maybe other people wouldn't know that would be surprising.
1: Oh boy. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to make the assumption that nobody knows who I am. Uh, so I'm going to tell people that um, I'm a first-generation refugee from Vietnam, Came to the United States with my parents in 1975. I am a failed comic book artist. My initial dream was to be a comic book artist, but I lacked the discipline and the skills. So when I discovered graphic design as a profession, I found a different outlet for my creativity. And being able to do that for a good portion of my professional career has given me the greatest joy in life and has afforded me a lifestyle that far exceeded anything I could have dreamt of when I was 17 or 18 years old. And my, my great pleasure in life now is to try to help people with their professional services companies to achieve some level of success that they have set for themselves as well.
0: I love that. That's so, so impactful. And your, your story in itself, like coming to, the, to this country with your, your family, like how has that sort of shaped you and shaped your, your career in that respect?
1: I think it has shaped me indirectly because I have no memory of my home country. I I don't remember any part of the passage. Uh, I was three when I came to the United States, and so I don't really have much. So America, for as far as I know, has been always our home, even though I knew that it's not our culture, it's not our language, it's not our people, our customs. And uh, adapting to American culture and society from first-generation immigrants' parents who didn't understand the culture either, there was a lot of culture shock going on. And even to this day, it, my, my parents don't fully understand all parts of American culture. So it's kind of like pulling someone out and dropping him into a society and saying, you figure it out. So there are many practices that my parents did not know how things work, like how do college admissions work? Um, they didn't know how to talk to me about the SAT scores because they just don't know. They just know you have to perform well. And, and so I think out of, out of all that is the spirit of adventure a willingness to try things, a learning how to deal with failure and setback. And I think all that really shaped how resilient I am and how um, the kind of mental fortitude that I think I have, the, the ability to persevere despite everyone, I mean, when I say everyone, everyone in your life not believing that you can do with such a thing.
0: Wow. Wow. That's, that's something, I mean, it's, it's really interesting too, like you're saying, just that shock all the time and just put in, you're just dropped in this environment. So it's like a constant, uh, I would say, you become an astute learner, almost, like you become a really, really good student, because you really do got to figure this out. Like, So how does that reflect also, because you are like the best teacher I've ever been around or experienced. And it's, uh, I think that so there's something connected there as well, especially when you share and, and kind of change the mindset of us as creatives, the fact that teaching really is learning. And you know, I just, I find that interesting kind of connecting to your origin story. So how, did, how does that also kind of fuel, you know, your ability to teach and help others learn?
1: Mm. I, I don't, I'm glad you're asking me this question. It's not that I have thought about this much. So hopefully what I say will make sense. But I think for me, and, and anybody that goes through this, I don't think I'm anything unique in this regard. If you took someone from the middle of this country, and you dropped them on the East Coast or you, you took someone from the big metropolitan city you dropped them on a rural farm here in America, it's going to shock their system.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like the whole fish out of water, a stranger comes to town kind of thing. I think the base layer isn't my desire to learn and to excel. It's just pure survival. Yeah, And you learn really quickly with heavy consequences. I, I think the, the baseline is survival. And you learn really quickly, this works, that doesn't work. And since you're not of the culture and you're in the minority in every sense, I don't look or sound like people that I grew up with, that you start to, to kind of, I think, recede into who you are and you become much more observant. I, I don't want to draw unnecessary attention to myself and to deal with the blowback that that might bring. I'm, I'm the person who's always shied from the spotlight. And I think it inadvertently created a superpower for me, which is the power to listen, to observe without speaking and so many times throughout my adolescence the teacher would ask a question and I knew the answer I just didn't want to raise my hand and say it because I don't want the attention. I don't feel like I have anything to prove because I was like it's red it's green Isaac Newton whatever the answer was I knew it and I just kept quiet and I was observing and so I think maybe that leads us into what do you do with all these skills of observation and, and, and just thinking quietly to yourself well you get You you come to peace with your own thoughts. You learn how to think about the things you think about, to process your feelings, and then choose what course of action to take. And it would prove itself to be handy later on when I actually became a teacher. So five years after graduating uh, Art Center College of Design, I got invited back to speak or to teach. And then as as a teacher, students would ask me some really basic questions. And to my surprise, no one in the room knew what the answers were. I'm like, am I the only person who knows the answer to this? And I was able to explain to them, not just the answer, but the process in which I got to that answer. Hmm. And and then I start to feel like, my, good, my goodness, there was this whole back catalog of ideas and thinking that I've had no outlet for. And now I'm discovering something new about myself that these thoughts that I have, the observations... They actually are valuable to other people, and people don't already know the answer to. And when I began on my education, my teaching journey as a, as an educator, I found new levels of self, self confidence, self esteem, and even finding my own voice. It was through the act of teaching.
0: Wow, that's powerful. So, what do you think? What, what would you say makes a great teacher, in your opinion?
1: I think a great teacher, if we're going to design a teacher in some kind of lab kit, has certain components and it's very difficult to meet all the criteria. But I'd like to define what I think is the gold standard of a great teacher. A great teacher understands their own thinking really well. A great teacher has experienced things in the real world and not just in the academic world. A great teacher can quickly pinpoint student's challenge and frame the problem in a way that the student can understand and relate to. A great teacher should lead the student to the answer and not tell them the answer. And the way they do that is by framing the problem, pointing them in a direction, creating a scenario challenge for them to work through. And those are assignments. Um, They can also ask them very targeted questions that allow the student to look in the right direction. It takes a lot of effort and energy. I didn't start out teaching this way. It's evolved over 15 years and it continues to evolve today.
0: Interesting. Thank you for that. That's such, I mean, it's like such gold right there. I think it's a, an amazing standard really to consider. Like you said, it, it's hard to hit all of those. It's hard to hit all of them. So <clears throat> in particular with your, your book, I have right here, Pocket Full of dough, right? Yes. This This was, it, it feels like a teaching, right? It feels like, Right, here's some some knowledge, and teaching. So I'm curious, like, w- why did you decide to write this book? And what stage were you in, I guess, in your life and how you saw yourself that you thought, yep, yeah, this is happening <laughs> for sure? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I wrote the book mostly to silence the request for me to write a book. <laughs> there wasn't a plan. I don't have it on my bucket list. Must write a book. In fact, I'm probably more like most people and I thought to myself, what do I have to share? How do I add to the to the, um, uh, the canon of ideas that already exist that are written by smarter people who are more articulate, who've, who define themselves as a writer, which I did not and I still do not to this day. I define myself as an educator, as a designer, as a creative person, but I started writing as a means to explain things to people. It's not my go-to. Like I studied visual, the visual arts, graphic design, so I can escape writing. <laughs> and I remember whenever the teacher gave us assignments to write, I'm like, oh, I was filled with dread. Just mortified, like, oh my God, I have to write something. But as you create an audience in a community, the primary way that they speak to you is through language, the written word. And I'm either tweeting or writing a post or an article trying to explain to somebody... Uh, maybe the scenario that they're looking at through a different lens so that hopefully they can grow from it. And as I write more and more, I start to find that I'm discovering my own voice. There's a style to the way I write. And when people do read the things that I write, they're like, I hear your voice in this. And I think that's a big compliment. And so when, when I do this, people are like, when's the book coming out? I'm like, what book? We love your thinking on this, but they're very short passages. It's not like I have tomes of things that I want to say. I just don't. And so it just just came out of that desire. Like, you know what? Will you guys stop bothering me about this if I just go ahead and do it? And the process was arduous. It was painful. I missed every deadline that I was given uh, and to the point in which people who supported me and backed the book from Kickstarter were getting really irritated. I said to my producer at that time, Refund them all the money. Whoever wants a refund, I just don't want to deal with it. The book is going to get done when it gets done and it was very painful to do.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, what, what surprised you most on the back end, I guess, of, of all the pain and the <laughs>
1: the challenges of getting it done? The, the best part is that people do write to me on a semi-daily uh, basis what the book means to them. And I think that's like everything. I'm, I'm not sure that the person who writes the piece of music knows how it's going to touch someone. And I'm going to probably butcher this, but they said something like the, the ripples that a teacher makes is profound and it's infinite because you put your hand in the water, it sends out a ripple and days, weeks, months, years later, it hits someone and it affects them. And so the impact of teachers is infinite because we don't yet know where those ripples will reverberate and who it's going to hit.
0: That's so true. You know, um, Oprah Winfrey, you know, her is Maya Angelou, who told her, you know, Oprah said, I wonder what my legacy will be. And Maya was like, you have no idea. Like you have no idea of the impact, right. That can uh, come from somebody like that or just from teaching period. So um, it brings up the question, right. Because a lot of us, I think we feel uh, sometimes that we do have something to say. Right. But something gets in the way of that. And for whatever reason, we hold back. So uh, what would you share with them?
1: For the people who are holding back, first of all, I feel your pain. I I don't think many of us come into the world thinking, I get to say what I want, the way I want, and I'm not worried about the blowback and how people are going to respond. And so I think like many tortured artists, your art form is in in the in the written word or the spoken word, and you get to perform and you have artistic license. and like art, writing is not for everyone. And it shouldn't be. It should be for a very specific someone. And as it turns out, when you write really well, there's a lot more someone's out there than you think. And I think the 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 best thing, if it's if nothing else, it's very therapeutic to write, to kind of learn what it is that you think you know. And I was listening to the Two Two Bobs podcast with Blair Enns and David C. Baker. And they said that when you go to write a book, if you haven't fundamentally transformed or smarter or different or better, then you're just phoning it in. Mm -hmm. An act of writing creates a moment and a challenge, a call to action for you to be a better person, a smarter person. So the first thing all writers that I know before they write, they research before they write. (laughs) They find stories that they don't know about yet and they formulate their ideas as they're writing it. It's not a linear process where you think I'm going to start at a, and it's going to end on Z. In reality, the writing process is much more like F R T K Z A. It just goes whatever order it goes until your deadline comes up and your editor is saying, we must finish it now. And then you let that baby go out of your hands, your cold dead hands and you pry it out off your fingers. But that's usually how it works, I think. Hmm.
0: And But why do you think uh, it's important to have a book? You think it is important to have a book?
1: It is important to have a book for a lot of different reasons. Uh, a book gets you uh, credibility. Uh, At and, and its lowest form, a book is a glorious business card to say, this is what I know. I've written literally the book on X. People who aspire to be um, public speakers having a best-selling book most definitely will will open doors for you. Will create a higher demand for you, and your speaking rates will go up. But a, a book, other than the external benefits of it, internally, like I said, you grow, you change, you become a better person, and it's good for you to put all your thoughts into a single, single cohesive form so that it can be referenced for others. If nothing else, also, it's kind of nice to be able to contribute uh, one book in the, in the library, if you will, of ideas as it relates to the topic that you want to talk about, because future generations are going to want to pick that up and continue moving the baton forward.
0: That's so true. And and does it make, does it matter at what stage you are in, let's say a career or in your profession and entrepreneurship, you know what I mean? Like, Sometimes people are also waiting for, once I get to this point, you know, then, then it'll make sense for me to articulate.
1: I think that's the conventional wisdom, but when it, when will you ever be ready? Probably never. So you have to start before you're ready. And I think we should do it as an exercise to discover who we are. Maybe you don't publish it. Maybe it's just for you to know that you did it and you get it out of your system. You purge these ideas sort of free your mind up to do other things to think about other things. And when you have some distance between you and the material, maybe you'll be more objective and look at it again and say, "Well, who wrote this? I like the ideas of this person. Oh right, I wrote it." But it's also quite helpful if you write something really long that when you're trying to create a piece of content for social media or you're you've been invited to speak on something, you pull from your own archive and it's ready to go. So, I think of writing yeah, so like a longer volume is is you contributing to this bank of ideas so you never be overdrawn when someone asks you to speak about something.
0: Mm-hmm. That's huge. Now, in this, the name of this podcast is The Author's Leverage. And I named it for a reason, but I've been asking all of the guests that come on, what comes to mind when you hear that phrase or you hear the, that title?
1: I like it because the word leverage is really powerful. I think it says everything that you needed to say, that authors have some kind of advantage, fulcrum, something that they can use to push other things. And perhaps the book isn't its final destination. It's the beginning to something else. It could be the final thing. But I think the idea of being able to leverage your thinking, your ideas, your intellectual property, I think that's very exciting.
0: Me too. (laughs) So, so tell me then, also, like, so with pocket full of dough, how has that impacted what you're doing now? Like, how has it, you know, pushed you forward or accomplished, you know, things for you in terms of getting closer to your goals?
1: I I still have this dream; it's not yet quite realized, Marcel. That the book becomes a very easy way for people to enter into the space in which I want to play in. Because oftentimes, when we read a book, we read it in our voice. We can can mull ideas over. We can hold them. We can savor them or we can discard them. But we go at our own pace. And I think that's really nice. And if somebody looks at the book and reads it and finds value in it, maybe that's the gateway into this space I'm trying to create where creative types can talk about business and hang out and learn from each other. And that's my hope. My hope is to be able to distribute that to anybody on the planet that, that wants to read some of the thoughts I put together. Mm-hmm. We're far, far away from that, but it's, it's a beginning.
0: Wow. And, and just uh, it, cause I'm a huge proponent of uh, such a benefactor of, you know, your, your expertise and what you put out there and shared. And so I'm curious for you, like, is, what is it that keeps you going in this respect? Because, Teaching is like, that's your, your it's your full-time thing now, especially switching over from your agency to now saying, yep, I'm just teaching. Like that's, to me, that's the uh, the dream. But uh, what keeps you going? Like what keeps you in that mode of like, yep, I'm going to get up and teach today. Like.
1: Mm. I think we all are compelled to, to grow in our existence and to continue to work on our own personal development. For some people that might just be getting a better golf swing in or someone else it might be to be a better dancer. But for me, I find growth in learning. I'm a learning machine. I'm a lifelong learner. But part of that means that I'm consuming things, but if all I do is hold on to that, I feel like my brain swells up and it doesn't have room for much, much else. And there's a Benedict uh, Carey that wrote about this and how we learn, the surprising thing about how we learn. He said that Part of learning and remembering is forgetting. It's important for us to purge what it is that we know so we make room for more. The expression, mm. you can't fill a cup that's already full, comes to mind. So for me, the way I purge is by teaching other people. So it cements the lessons and they become part of my long term memory. And that way I can purge and then I can learn more. So teaching and learning to me are two sides of the same coin. Wow. Uh, James Quick talked about this, Jim Quick. He said that the best teachers are the best students and the best students are the best teachers. So I aspire to be better on both fronts and so they're nice compliments of one another. I have pages and pages of notes in multiple notebooks, digital and analog. I need to consolidate this because it's killing me that I can't teach at the pace in which I'm learning so it's creating a bottleneck for me. So I want to teach more so I can go learn more.
0: Wow. That is like, I have the visual and everything. It's like there needs to be more space made. And I've, I've heard it also, I think you had put in the in our group, the question of what habit do you want to create? And my response to that was to be able to create more than I consume. But mm-hmm. I think there also should be a balance with that. But the point being is like, a lot of us there are, you know, we take in a lot of content and don't really do anything with it. I mean, so I've, I've actually sat down just with a friend and like taught something and I was like, damn, I should have recorded that. But it's it, it actually teaching it. It helped me to, I don't know, just to have a deeper understanding of whatever whatever I was teaching um, from what I had learned. But yeah, like that's what it feels like. It's like if you're not out there exercising, you're basically just like fat on this information. Like a couch potato. <laughs> It's a visual that comes yeah.
1: to mind. I, I kind of refer to this as information hoarding. Uh-huh. So you read, you consume, and we know what that is. Like if we keep consuming and we don't use, it, it's not a pretty sight. Like, and what are some, if, if this was a
0: thing, like what were this, what would some of the symptoms be of, yep, you have information overload?
1: <laughs> okay. I, I don't know exactly the symptoms, but I can tell you how it seems to play out. You have something to do. A talk to give, um, a course to teach, a workshop to run, or something that you have to express what it is that you know. And you feel there's a knowledge gap between who you perceive yourself to be and what you actually know. So what do you do? You go and learn more things. You read more books. You watch more videos. You enroll in more courses. All of that is a stalling tactic to delay the inevitability of you actually expressing something. Because we know as soon as you make something, people can critique the things that you make. Whether that be a piece of art, music, or something that you wrote. So we're so afraid of the judgment of other people, we go back and we keep reading more and more and more. But then now it becomes this big secret. And the secret is you know things, but nobody knows that you know anything. Because you haven't created anything. So, I think part of the act of learning is the act of creating. They're really tied together. You must demonstrate what it is that you know. That's why, sadly, we're we're asked to take tests. We're asked to build a model, like a physical model. We're we're asked to solve puzzles and things like that. So that's how we know what it is that we know. So all you're doing is collecting. and it creates the illusion that you're learning and growing. I don't know that many people who can just read all the time and retain much of what they've read. Here's a little side story. Um, I I read this book and I love this book. It's called The Wind Without Pitching Manifesto by Blair Enns. And I loved it so much, I asked my executive producer and one of my people in sales to read the book. I said, here's the book. I gave you the copy. I'll talk to you in a week. It won't take you more than a day to read the book. They come back to me in a week. And I said, what'd you think of the book? They're like, I loved it. I like, I like what I read. I said, tell me one idea that you got that we we, we think we can use and implement. They're like, well, I didn't read it like that. I don't, I mean, I had to go get my notes. And, you know, they they, they kind of, I, and I believe them. I believe that they were honest and sincere when they said they loved the book and they read it, but they didn't read it with the intention that they're going to use it or to teach it or to tell anyone else what they read. And I think- That changes how you read something. It changes how you learn. So I would say to someone, don't read to learn, read to teach. It'll create a whole different set of uh, sense of awareness and focus and intention that you can't just speed read your way through 10 pages. You won't even know what you read. Stop, highlight, annotate, draw a diagram. Think, how am I going to have to explain this to my fifth grader? I have a, a community or I'm going to make a video tomorrow. What can I distill down, filter through my voice and experience that I can share with someone? And then the way you read will be drastically different. Your retention will be different. Like I get excited. Um, this is probably TMI. But when I was younger, I loved going camping and fishing or even when my mom said, I'll take you to a skateboard shop. I would get those butterflies in your stomach and your gut. You know, you're like, I can't wait. You get that feeling. Sometimes when I read and I read a block of text and I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait. I can't wait to share this with someone. I can't wait to turn this into something else to convert it and to allow other people to learn what I've learned. I keep that same nervous 12-year-old boy energy that I do as a 50-year-old man.
0: Oh, my God. All right. It's time for a short break. Let's hear a word from one of our sponsors. Are you an author and ready to leverage your book? Maybe you have a great idea for a course or program, but you need help fleshing it out with someone and making sense of what you have. If that's you, I want to invite you to schedule a free half hour strategy session with me. We'll take a look at your content together, talk about your goals, and I'll provide my professional and honest recommendations. No salesy stuff or surprises. So to schedule a call, visit theauthorsleverage.com forward slash course strategy. All right, now back to the show. So so you're saying like as you're reading other material, you're you're highlighting, like it's giving you context of stuff that you can put in your your next video, your next lesson or what have you.
1: I'm not just highlighting, Barshall, because everybody does that. Highlighting is pretty natural, well, yeah. right? <laughs> I'm... I'm drawing boxes around things. I'm asking myself a question of if I had to guess what was the question this person was answering so I can reverse engineer their thinking. I try to think about, I wonder what the author's thinking here. What do they want me to feel or what's going on? Like where did this idea come from? So I'm having a whole dialogue with a book, an imaginary conversation about what's going on here because I want to see beyond the words of the pages. I want to read between the lines and go much deeper than that. So I'm excavating things that may or may not be there because I'm reading to teach.
0: Wow. And the thing is, too, is uh, as as well, I guess now in this digital age, the information age that we're in, like now what you actually know, you could put a price tag on and and charge for it, right? So talk okay. about your experience, too, in that respect of you know how your business has transformed as well in terms of just being able to teach.
1: Yeah. I think um, it's Jim Rohn who said this. I know it's Jim Rohn who said this, but the part where I think is, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to quote this accurately, but Jim Rohn said something, and I've modified the expression, is that wealth is your ability to convert knowledge and experience into equity and capital. Mm. The, The key word here isn't what you think it is. It's transformation. Can you transform this into something else? So we, we know this. And I think Seth Godin says, the average American buys one book a year, just one. I must make up for the rest of the country because I probably buy 60 books a year, if not more. Okay, I have hundreds of books. I haven't read hundreds of books. So I want to be clear about that. And so I read something and I think to myself, oh my gosh, what can I do to this? So this is written. If I just merely speak the words in my own language, I've converted it. I have transformed it into something else. And if I add graphics and visuals, if I take an idea and turn it into a framework or a drawing or an illustration, I've transformed it. And in doing so, that material starts to absorb into me, but then I give someone else a vehicle to learn the same things that I've learned.
0: That's awesome. And that's what I feel like from what you mentioned before, like um, your team members, they read the book, but they really didn't take anything in. I think that that's what the opportunity is um, with online courses as well. You know, in terms of if you have a book or you have something that's established, having it transformed or I guess you just say reconfigured in a way that people can actually take action is, is another step, I guess to sort of bring more out of that knowledge and the expertise that is is being shared.
1: Yes. And not to get too meta, but our conversation today is evidence of that transformation. So we are able to convert, right? So you are a sum of the the experiences of your life, the people who have impacted you, the books you've read, the things you've learned, things you've tried, things you've failed. And so now we're converting this into dialogue, conversation. Mm-hmm. The questions that you're forming come from a lifetime of experience. And the questions I'm responding to come from my lifetime of experience with reading with learning i've mentioned a couple authors already and so they become part of your your brain your dna and so we're having that transform transformation right now and should one day this podcast get hundreds or thousands hundreds of thousands of of listens reviews you've created something for yourself so you can then later leverage the podcast to onboard a great sponsor or to build a community that shows up to sponsor you via Patreon or something else. This is exactly what we're doing. I mean, what we're doing is exactly what we're talking about.
0: hmm hmm And it's it's crazy. You, you don't get that. You know, you don't get to experience that until you do it. Until you actually get on That's your right. side and start doing it. So
1: you got to make something. A, it's always yes.
0: <laughs> you have to make something. You do and. Uh, I think a lot, like I said, a lot of people doubt what they can create sometimes, but uh, it seems to be getting better, even though there's so much information that's out there and all of that. It's like you don't want to contribute to the noise in an annoying way. So uh, what are some of the ways that you help others articulate and go beyond uh, you know, those fears to show up online, to show up and uh, to not feel like they're just making noise among other people talking about the same thing, but they are doing something that matters.
1: I think some of it will just for us to accept that some of what we do will be noise. That not everything you write, say produce record will be gold. It's, mm. it's not realistic. It's actually quite harmful to start thinking like that. Give yourself permission to make some pretty crappy content, to make things that suck, to, to dare to suck as uh, Philip Van Dusen would say. And I like that. It takes us off the, the hook allows us to create because uh, i don't i don't think we ever set out intentionally to create masterpieces or to write pieces of junk it's just in the act of creation sometimes it works out that mm. they're really good and more often than not it's not so good and yeah. through volume through repetition and through habit we can ultimately get there someday but we can't get there unless we start and if we don't quit and that's the critical part of creation is you got to just keep at it And sometimes you surprise or shock yourself. The other thing I'd like to say is that if you don't want to contribute to the noise of the echo chamber, don't go and regurgitate what you just learned in the same space in which you learned it. You're doing very low level conversion at that point. You're not transforming it very much. So if you see an idea, say on Instagram, and you're like, oh, I'll just change the typeface and the colors and I'll write the same sentiment that's contributing to the noise because all you're doing is amplifying the same thing without adding to it. Kirby Ferguson talks about this in his series, Everything's a Remix. Uh, It's what is a copy, transform, combine.
0: Hmm.
1: You need to be more than the byproduct of one source of inspiration. You need to bring things together and find the thread. You need to tell that story through your true and authentic voice in your own life experiences and not do what everybody else does, which is command C, command V, which is copy paste. If, unless you intentionally try to do that, I think the kind of noise you create is necessary because even to make music, you have to make some noise.
0: This is true. Oh my God. Like it, it, we just have to be in the act of, I love what you're saying because it's like just in the act of doing it. You'll be surprised either way, you know, (laughs) in some way, shape or form, and it'll still benefit us in the end. So I'm curious, too, what your thoughts are. I know that you're really well versed in education and in the e-learning space and how education is changing, period. What do you think is the future for, I guess you could say creatives and authors, those that are, you know, are expressing themselves? What is the future ahead for uh, for someone in that in that type of role?
1: I think the future is very exciting because I think people are becoming more accepting of multimodal ways of learning, distance-based learning, and connecting through a variety of platforms. The tools are getting better. The distribution is free or very low cost. So let's just put in context. If you set out to, to write a book, you might print what, three to 5,000 copies of the first run. And if you're not a well-known person and you have to bankroll this yourself, you can be out thousands of dollars trying to get rid of these books. You might sell 100 of them and give away the rest. And it's a difficult process to go through. And not to mention just a physical space that it takes up. So if pre-internet, that's your only means of spreading your ideas and you'd have to go to book signing tours, you'd have to go on tours to promote the book. And now... The amount of risk that you have to take on is actually really low. The threshold is so low because you can you can write your book, you can publish it as an ebook and you can promote it that way and you can you can sell one copy, you can sell a million copies and you won't incur extra expenses. It will take up no space in your place or building, you don't have to warehouse it, you don't have to ship it. Uh, you don't have to deal with all the logistics of it getting damaged in the mail. So I think it's a wonderful time for anyone who wants to be an educator, to start small, to to run a workshop or to write one chapter of their book and share that to see the feedback that they're going to get from their audience and their community. You can actually build a fan base for your content while you're building the content. You couldn't do this any other way because could you imagine a publisher just saying, okay, we'll we'll just print the first chapter and we'll ship it. And then every chapter afterwards, we'll just ship one. The cost would be astronomical to do that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But you could do that. Mm -hmm. and I think that's wonderful and some of our friends who are in the e-learning space are utilizing some wonderful tools that didn't even exist two years ago to create a hybrid learning environment that isn't pure online teaching and it's not also pure traditional brick and mortar teaching it's some weird hybrid that has the best of both worlds and some might even argue is better than either one of those two things
0: really what are some of those hybrid Experiences look like. Can you describe
1: an example of mm-hmm. one? Mm-hmm. So, if I were teaching a class of thirty people and I gave them a prompt to draw or to write or to sketch something, my ability to to spot trouble and to see which students are performing and excelling and which students are struggling is really limited. I'd either have to say who's struggling and visit those people, or I'd have to hover over each person one at a time because there's physical limitations our friend Christine Lucer, who teaches at the Minerva School, she sets up shared documents for multiple groups of students learning at the same time, and she can quickly scan just by the amount of activity, uh, what kind of progress they're making. Because they, she can just quickly scan, and I think that's awesome. It's like a video game where you have God mode, and you can just look down and like, "Oh, this is where everybody's at." A mm-hmm. uh, group three struggling because they have nothing on the board right now. Group twelve, the page is already filled with ideas. They're doing really well. And so she can really quickly audit what's going on. So this is where I think we have the best of both worlds, where we have small group learning, discussion, debate, uh, giving people enough space to feel comfortable to explore. I mean, because a a real class that had only three students would be very expensive because the student to teacher ratio is way out of whack. Mm -hmm. It's almost like paying for like one-on-one coaching. But this is how I see the, the future of education looking where people are understanding the different models and they design it to succeed using um, connectivity and virtual rooms and spaces. And it's a very different thing. It's not trying to be a poor facsimile of a a traditional school experience. It's designed from the ground up to exist on the web.
0: That's powerful. And even like you said, like the opportunity that authors have to publish a chapter at a time and just release it when you... When you're ready, like there's so many, like I said, these techno technological advances that are really, like you're saying, allowing the author of whatever they're authoring to think like five steps ahead. Right. When it comes to if yep, I'm starting here, but I know it's going to circle here, then it can flow here. Like, how would you how would you structure that? How, like if you were going to write a book and let's say you're thinking five steps ahead, uh, what, what sort of. Uh, stepping stones or pieces would you see are elements that need to be in place to be, have really well thought out something from the origin?
1: Yes. I think we'll take it from a point of view of like dialogue. Okay. If I say something, I see you reacting to it. Mm-hmm. And you can respond by asking questions or telling your own story. And you give me feedback. And from the feedback, I know I was clear or I was unclear I was boring, or this was really exciting for you? Unfortunately, the way books work is you write, and you write, you write for a really long time without any real feedback. You might send some of your trusted friends and allies a section of what if what you've written, but they're your friends. What are they going to say? This sucks. I mean, they might give you some criticism, but whether they're right or wrong, you only have one data point. The better way to go is to do what Silicon Valley has done really well, which is to prototype. Prototype is you build an MVP, a minimum viable product. And in your case, it might be the first page, the first chapter, whatever makes sense to you, and you release it to the public. So you have now many data points and you're going to have hundreds, maybe thousands, tens of thousands, or hundreds of thousands of people looking at it, responding to it, telling you that they like it, they don't like it, how much they share it, and then pointing out parts where they're confused or the parts they want more of. And you should use that to write that chapter or that page again, user feedback. So if you go through many iteration cycles, you're going to get to a point in which you know what you intended to say is what is being received. I think that's really important. So let's all adopt this idea of MVP, minimum viable product, to prototype and test and to to get and solicit feedback in real time with as many people who are willing to engage with the content. Blair Ann said this to me, he said, Chris, I learned this from, from a friend who is a, a, a publisher or publicist or something like that in the, in the literary world. And she said, it's important for you to write a really good book because you can't unpublish a book. You cannot unpublish a book. You can't, or it feels like you can't. There's going to be thousands of copies of your writing frozen in time forever, You're thinking something weird about the internet is you can write and you can edit and you can republish and you could update the post. So there's something super liberating, freeing that it is forever on the internet because the Google spiders will get on it, it'll index the page and it'll live, but it's going to be extremely difficult to find. And so I think that's a really empowering concept to like, try to do something, to share it, to listen to the feedback and feel your way through the process. And with each successful chapter that you release or passage, you're going to grow in your confidence. You're going to have momentum, and and you you're getting what you need all along, which is feedback. Mm-hmm.
0: That's awesome. It's like you're sort of being guided by this north star, almost, with everyone's feedback and your ability just just to get it out. What um, I'm curious too, because I know that you read a lot. Um, so in these last couple questions. Uh, I'm excited to ask you this stuff. So one is who would you consider some of the greats in terms of authors or teachers and subject matter experts that you think have excelled in, I would say, the quality of the content, the admiration maybe for the business badass behind it, maybe from a strategy standpoint. And uh, I guess also their relationship with their audience, like kind of those three aspects, who would you consider to be greats in those areas?
1: This will be no surprise to anyone who's ever listened to me. So I can give you a set of books. I read mostly nonfiction. I read books in business, marketing, sales, mindset. Those are the kinds of things that excite me. Uh, books on on learning, cognitive skills, neuro-linguistic programming. That's what excites me today. So in that world, I you're going to see a pattern here. I like authors who use very few words to communicate their ideas. I will pay you more to read less. And I notice a very specific pattern in the way that people write. They have one big idea, they make a case for it, they tell you the solution, and they tell you 55 stories afterwards. Like I, like if I like if I don't believe you the first time you said it. And so I think 60-70% of the book is not necessary. And so that's why I think a lot of people will say, Read the first chapter, read the last chapter, and cherry pick a couple of chapters in between, and you'll get the essence of the book because. This seems to be a pattern. I think, as a society, we're we're fixated on the length and the and the width of the book that it cannot be a book to be taken seriously unless it's yay big. I don't I don't like that. So I like authors who are very economical in their word choices, and you can tell there isn't a wasted sentence, phrase, or page. So to that, I really enjoy the way Marty Newmar writes. I've mm. read most of his books, including. The Brand Gap, Zag, The Designful Company, and, um, oh my God, Brand Flip. I really appreciate the way Seth Godin writes. I've read a couple of his books. This is Marketing, Permission Marketing, um, The Dip. I, I know I read another book from him, but I just, I'm spacing on it right now. I also like the way Blair Enns writes. If you ever listen to him speak, he speaks exactly the way you write. Careful, measured, succinct, Clear, direct. So Very his direct. book is The Win Without Pitching Manifesto. <laughs> he's got another book called Pricing Creativity. And so those, and then one last author, Michael Bungay Stanier. He wrote the book, The Coaching Habit. Very practical, super clear. And the amazing thing is, book publishers turned him down. So he decided to publish it himself. And he's, I think, since sold 900,000 copies. What? Yeah.
0: Oh my God, that's incredible! Well, I thank you it for is. sharing that that list. That's that's those are awesome uh, people to check out as well. And I, I consider you one of those in in that circle too. If I was someone to ask me that question, I would say Christo would be on that list. So, um, uh-huh. yeah, definitely. It's just it's brilliant what you've put together, and um, just sharing your story and everything that you're saying. It just it makes it makes a lot of sense, and it takes I think the pressure off so that we can see what it means to articulate and to get our thoughts out there in a way that makes sense and feels right, feels good that we can be confident in it. So it's really, really powerful. And as we wrap up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: I just wanted to respond to that. Thank you very much, Prashel for saying that because I'm, you know, some parents, they they like look at their kid, like I had the smartest, most beautiful, handsome kid you've ever met. I'm (laughs) the opposite. I'm like, my kid's ugly, stupid and slow. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not talking about my real children. I'm talking about my ideas, my book, you know, I put that (laughs) into the universe and I was afraid to look at it again because I'm like, who put that thing together? So it's very heartwarming to hear that it works for you on whatever level it works. And I do appreciate you saying that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So as, as we wrap up for those that are listening, who are authors, whether they're just getting started in this space or they're a seasoned bestseller, um, what what advice
1: and what tips would you leave with them oh my gosh <laughs> as a person who doesn't consider myself a writer i'm gonna give current and future writers some advice here um you know the biggest thing i can i can say to you is this is like it is heartbreaking to put your heart energy and soul into something and then not have it be successful for you in however you measure success i would ask that you de-risk this endeavor by building and writing the book in public as much as you can stomach it stomach it because the old way of working on it, toiling away in your cave and then releasing it to, to fanfare or total crash and burn. You don't have to punish yourself that way anymore. And I'm going to tell you that the world needs to hear from you, your unique, your unique perspective and that you hopefully don't keep kicking that can down the road and eventually release the material, release the Kraken, and and let the world see what you're made of.
0: (laughs) Love it. Love it. Love it. Thank you, Chris, so much for being here. This is totally awesome. Everybody, I'm going to link to where to find out about Chris and what he's up to. Um, Is there any way you want to direct them? Where should they uh, look to connect with you or follow you from here?
1: You can check out our content on multiple platforms by just going to our home base. That's thefuture.com. Future spelt without an E. So it's F-U-T-U-R. And you can find me everywhere on social media. I'm at the Chris Doe. Doe is spelled D-O. Pocket full of
0: Doe, with a (laughs) D-O. I love it. Thanks, Chris, for being here. This was awesome. Thanks, Marcel. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Author's Leverage. You can subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcast. Hey, do me a favor. If you found this helpful, leave us a review and share this episode with someone it could help along their journey. Check out more resources, visit theauthorsleverage.com. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time.